Welcome to the Relaxed Running Podcast, the show that helps runners and athletes in running-based sports transform the way they run. Here's your host, Tyson Popplestone. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Relaxed Running Podcast. Great to have you here for another week. Hey, super inspired with the podcast I've just done. I feel pumped up. I feel excited. I feel really happy to share this one with you. The last couple of weeks, if you've been listening, the YouTube channel by the name of Sweat Elite has been mentioned by a number of athletes who are just big athletics fans, want to go out and see the training and the structure and the locations that the best athletes in the world train at. And that's exactly what Sweat Elite offer. It's a really informative YouTube channel. It's a really uh, a really interesting channel to look at. So I went and did a little bit of research because I'd seen some of their videos come up. And in the midst of the research, I found that an old competitor of mine by the name of Matt Fox was the man behind the channel, which I was super pumped about because Matt and I have sort of gone back and forth from time to time over the last 10 years, just shooting each other a little bit of love here and there with whatever venture it is that we're a part of at the time. And to see that uh, Matt's had a swing and you know hit this one over the fence has been super exciting. So I reached out to him, first of all, saying, mate, I had no idea that you're now a 220 marathoner. He used to be a 148, 800 meter man. So it wasn't the transition I ever imagined that he would take. Uh, but beyond that, um, just to get him on here and have a chat about the inspiration behind that. So the, the first sort of 30 to 40 minutes of this podcast is specifically about the marathon. We're talking about um, our journeys from our competitive junior days into our sort of mid-20s competition days over the middle distance, 1,500 to 5K or 800 to sort of 3K for him. And then the time that we spent away from the sport and then his return back to it in a big way. So um, uh, very similar, the ways that our stories are structured. But uh, Matt's a really well thought out guy. I really like the way he speaks about the approach to training that he has. But beyond that, uh, he's got a nice ability to be able to break down sort of complicated ideas into a way that make a lot of sense. He's, he's a wealth of knowledge as you know you would be after 20 years in the sport. So you're really going to enjoy that for your marathon runners. For the rest of you, you also, I mean, the last the last 25 minutes was awesome as well, just hearing about Sweat Elite and the things that he's had to do to get it all up and about, really inspiring. So make sure if you haven't checked it out already, you jump over to YouTube, hit subscribe, um, shoot him a bit of love on Instagram, let him know you heard the podcast uh, genuinely one of the favorite podcasts I've ever recorded on the Relax Running podcast. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. But for now, hey, let me introduce for the first time on the show, the great man himself, Matt Fox. Dude, I'm, I'm aiming, I'm going to run the Melbourne Marathon later in the year. That's oh, nice. the plan. And I was having a look at, at your YouTube channel yesterday and I noticed actually that you were pretty heavily involved in the world of marathon running yourself. And my problem is, dude, I, I love the long stuff. Like the long stuff is, is it's my favorite way to train. Um, it's the most enjoyable kind of training sessions to me. But the problem is because I had so long out of competitive running, I've come back into it just with the attitude that, all right, I'll just get back into it like I, I used to. And yep. in about the first six weeks, I reckon I've just hit my second calf strain. So I'm trying oh, to navigate no. this frustrating little world of injury because I was very lucky when I was competing. I never really had anything serious. And now I've got back into it and started going, all right, I'll do some K reps. Yesterday I just did like 13 Ks around an oval <laughs> and I got to the end of it. And uh, I was going to do 14K and at 13K I felt a little familiar ping and I thought, oh, I know what that is. I'm just going to stop. And I woke up uh, this morning yeah. a bit tender. But that's a long way of saying I'm, I'm joining the marathon bandwagon slowly. 
I've just got to get my my body uh, into shape to do it. But, but when did you make that move into it, man? Because I was saying before we hit record, the last, or the first time we met and the last time we raced, I think was probably 2010 to well, yep. around 2013 is where we were meeting each other here. You tore me up in the first meet over 1,500, which was very humbling. Oh, did I? You became the Aussie Uni. Yeah, yeah, Australian Uni. Oh, yeah, games. the Aussie Uni Games. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that you won. Um but man, yeah, it's a bit of a change for you now. See, you're, what you're, you're venturing out into the marathon. Yeah, it's funny you say that about getting into you know the marathon and hurting your calf. That actually happened to me when I first started uh, marathons, uh, probably five and a half years ago. I returned back. I was, man, I was eighty four kilos at the time. I just spent two years working full time. So for context, I'm seventy one now. So obviously a lot heavier. Um, I was you know working full time in Singapore for a year and a half. Uh, you know, seventy hours a week. Uh, left that space because I was like, I don't really, th- really think I want to do that and I want to try my luck at one more startup. And that's around the time I, I started training for the marathon. And in my first six to nine months, I was just like what you described. Um, started running, little niggle, had to stop for a week. Started, and I, for a few times I was like, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to be able to do this. And I mean, the the original uh, challenge was to try and break three outs. Um, that was all it was. One of my friends, uh, actually, you would know of all people, you would know Nick Simmons from the U.S., Who's one of America's best yes. middle distance runners? In twenty, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess 2016. He or maybe it was late, uh, yeah, very late 2016. He decided to enter the Honolulu Marathon as part of the run. His company's Run Gum. Uh, he wanted to do a bit of a, you know, promotion around that, and he tried to break three hours, and he went 302. A bit of a tough course. And one of my friends uh, is friends with him, and I, I wouldn't say I'm friends with Nick, but I sort of know him. And, uh, and and one of my friends said, do you reckon I could break three hours after we saw that challenge? And I said, 4.15 per K. I was like, yeah, I reckon I could if I trained for a few months. And my other friend said, no, you couldn't do that. I don't reckon you could. You're too much of, an eight, you're too much of a sprinter. And so I tried to prove him wrong over the next six months. And I did run 2.59.38, I think, uh, in the first one. But it was... It was uh, I would I would argue that training block and that run was harder than two twenty two twenty one now, which is weird because obviously very different paces. But um, yeah, so it was uh, twenty. It was late twenty sixteen or early twenty seventeen when I got back into it, and it's cr- it's honestly sometimes crazy for me to even think now that um, that I've improved uh, to, to to this point because back then I thought two forty five maybe I could run it some someday. Um, and even back when I was doing middle distance with you, uh, a bunch of, you know, you often have friends that are sort of clueless about running. They ask, Oh, what about marathon? Will you ever do marathon? And I just dismissed every time, like I'll never do a marathon. So it's funny what can, uh, what can happen and how things can change over time. Yeah. Oh, you're kind of inspiring me a little bit. Cause I'd had, <clears throat> I officially stopped running competitively back in 2014. And I think at that time I was like, yeah, I've sort of had enough. I was pretty clear at the time I I had big expectations. I was like, well, I've got I've got goals to run at like a really high world-class level. And by mm. the time you're about 25, you start to get a bit of a gauge as to where you're at. And I thought, okay, well, and plus a couple of little health concerns. I thought, oh, it's maybe not my maybe not my thing. And, and Mark Glitzarza just got drafted. So I thought, oh, I'll go back to the mm. footy world. Surely I'm better at footy than him. <laughs> and uh, long story short, that didn't work out. And I thought, oh, well, my days in the distance running world are done. And like you, like I, I don't know what your weight was, but – I always promised my wife, I said, once I finish running, I'll get in the gym and I'll cover these ribs up and give your husband with some biceps and some pecs. And she yeah. goes, well, that sounds a lot better, actually. And then about two years ago, I started to get the bug, just working with athletes and um, just sort of started to venture back into watching a few more races. And before I knew it, I was 
starting to train for, oh, this is actually more than two years. This is like five years ago now. I started to train for the Melbourne Marathon, which I ran 305 in, which the whole my audience is oh. so sick of hearing about. It was a, yeah. a 79-minute first half and whatever it is to equal 305 mm. <laughs> at the end. And, so you're uh, on track for 238 know, through half. Dude, I was going through half gone. Marathon running is the easiest thing in the whole world. I can't believe all the complaints. And I got to about 25K and I was like, I don't think there's anything harder in the whole world than marathon running. So I thought I can't leave 305 as my time. And I had a mate say to me six months ago, he's like, mate, I could imagine you having like a second mini career over the marathon. And just that comment had, had played on my mind a little bit. So hearing from yeah. you and what you've done, I can see how you get the bug just going down that road. And if I can tie it together and because I'm thinking like my goal, if I can run the marathon and have a good one, would be maybe 245. But if I run 245, I'll be like you where it's like, well, you know, if I run seven days a week and I do some stretches and a bit more strength work and, you know, show up a bit more consistently and plan the races, maybe I'll jump out there and have a crack at hitting 229. <laughs> so I can see how it kind of happens. But, yeah, go on. I was just going to say, I can tell you right now based on – so it's, it's interesting because your, your 20s and your middle distance days and the, about the time you decided to pull away from middle distance was almost identical to mine. Uh, I mean, we're similar age. We race each other through – I actually, I don't know if you remember this, but strangely, I do remember racing at least in the same competition in high school. You were doing five, uh, 3K and 1500. I was doing 8 and 15. Um, I think it was uh, in Adelaide or it might have been Melbourne. But either way, we've been essentially doing the same events all the way through until 26. And I had the same sort of thoughts around that age of, okay, well, I really want to make the Olympics and the world champs. I'm not quite there. I'm just that one level behind, really similar to you. And then I decided that, you know, maybe it's never going to happen and pulled away. And um, I do know based on, you know, your junior days of doing 1500, 3K, 5K, that you have the – at least I believe this. I, 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 and I've because I've seen it ha- happen over you know other people's careers. I, th- I think you have the ability to run significantly faster than what you've just said. But the thing is, it's it will take time for you for your body to adjust and figure out. It's it's taken yeah me five and a half years for my body to more or less completely. I don't know exactly how that what the terminology to use is switching from sort of the the faster you know tw- twitch to the slower twitch, but. You know, you would remember that back then when I was running sort of 148, 800, you know, doing a 200 meter repeat in 25, 26 seconds was pretty easy for me. Now, there's no way I can do that now. Like, I, I would struggle to even run 28, I reckon, for a 200, but I can very easily run 320 per K for 20 K it almost any day at this point, which is something I never would have been able to do back then. So, there's obviously some sort of physiology that's changed over time. And, and I know based on your. Um, you know, your early years of running and your basic physiology that you could probably run well into the two teens, but it will just take time for you to, to actually, um, you know, for your body to make those changes and to go through that process. And it'll also take a bunch of marathons to figure out how do you do this? Um, because, you know, you experienced going through in 79 feeling easy, but then everything changed because probably you hadn't done the correct training fueling as in your body being able to actually run at the right pace in training but also you probably didn't i'm guessing understand how the carbohydrates came into it as well and you probably didn't fuel very well for that and that's something that we all have to learn over time and uh, i'm still working out the carbohydrate stuff now and trying to run sort of 217 218 uh, i still don't think i've nailed it so so yeah it's, it's interesting the journey that you go on and uh, i really hope that in a few years that you're uh you know you're you're staring down the path of 220 and i know it's possible it's just a matter of um of, of sort of letting the time take its course and, and going after each marathon block, after each marathon block and trying to learn from each one. 
Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. You've, you've hit the nail on the head. And that was one thing that as soon as the race had finished, I was like, all right, hey, Toss, like next time maybe do more than just one 30K run. Because that was – I was going into it like I was just trying to run a park run for 5K. It was like, yeah, my fitness is thereabouts. I'll go out and just see how we go. And even though I've heard from – and had the, like – opportunity to speak to so many guns over the years about the marathon i knew the approach was the complete opposite but i was like you know what for what it's worth <laughs> we'll just get a bit of a taste yeah. for it but dude yeah you're getting me all inspired the one thing is vanity that's turning me off because uh, uh those pecs that i held onto so dearly for a few years i know they only take about six long runs to completely disappear so yeah. <laughs> if i can just let go of the vanity yep. element um my wife reminds me that my wrinkles are pretty deep now anyway, so I don't think a few extra kilos of loss is going to make that much of a difference yeah, to the, the appeal factor. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you going to do? Um, so how many have you run now? Uh, I've started uh, – I tried to work out the other day. I think I've started 14 and finished nine, so I've, I've DNF'd a few um, due to a few re- reasons. Most of them have just been really severe muscle cramps that I just haven't been able to get through. Um, so, yeah, finished nine uh, and, yeah, started at 259 and – uh, my last one was uh, four days ago in Osaka. Um, I tried to break 220 again. I've tried to break 220 a few times, but I didn't. I ran 221. Um, yeah, so so nine deep, uh, learning every time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm learning that the weather is a, is a very huge deal, especially for someone that has a high sweat rate like myself. So now when I'm trying to run fast times, I'm looking for races that will be colder uh, if possible because I know that if it's over 15 degrees, my chances of running a PB at least are pretty much gone. Um <laughs> Just because uh, I've I've done a sweat rate test and it's a pretty high score, so so yeah, I've done them all over the all over the place. Um, been very lucky to have done Berlin a few times, uh, Valencia a few times. Uh, my best is from a bit of a unique one at Indianapolis, uh, which I ran for a bit of a strange reason, which uh, we can talk about later. But uh, yeah, that was that was quite a fast uh, course. So that was at the end of twenty twenty one. And uh, the next one's London. So in seven and a half weeks, I'm I'm backing up pretty quickly from Osaka, having a week off now, or at least a very light week, and then going for another six week block leading into London, where you know try and break two twenty again. But uh, I've tried a few times now, and I uh, I wonder if uh, my body's able able to actually do it at this point because um, I feel like my aerobic capacity can maybe go two sixteen, two seventeen, but I my I can't figure out how to finish a marathon without pretty severe cramping in my hamstrings and calves uh, it's happened every single one even when i ran 220 i had cramps at the end of that race so um yeah challenge i'm still trying to figure out uh after after nine marathons still haven't conquered it so we'll see yeah i, I saw you um yeah had the precision hydration shirt on in one of your photos or one of your videos the other day and i've had andy blow on from precision hydration on here a couple of times and he's a, a really interesting guy to speak to about the um the sweat rate and the sweat test and have, have you had a chat with him yep. about that kind of stuff because I could imagine yeah. he'd be a pretty helpful bloke to to help you get your head around it. Yeah, so I did a sweat test with uh, with Andy actually at Precision Fuel and Hydration in the south of the UK, and we've been working with them for uh, quite a few months now, and they've been a really good partner to work with. Um, I'm not a hundred percent convinced, and Andy might disagree with me on this, uh, but I'm not sure anyone knows the real truth uh, to this answer. And I'm not, I'm not convinced that the cramping is due to any sort of uh, nutrition issue. I think it's something else because I've uh, loaded on magnesium and sodium and potassium for that matter, the three things that when you look into any sort of uh, cramping um, you know, online, uh, you'll find that the, a lack of those three things can, be, uh, can cause cramps. But if you look at more scientific studies around cramping uh, when it, in the context of uh, exercise, so not in the context of 
in bed where that might be a fueling issue uh, or, or just walking around getting general muscle cramps. But at the end of a race, it tends to be more specific to having some sort of strength problem um, with your muscles just not being able to tolerate uh, what you're asking it to do, basically. And so so then maybe doing some sort of really specific strength regime or uh, I, I thought that doing really uh, an excessive amount of long runs would, would be the key because that's essentially pushing your – you know, muscles to the to the limit many times in terms of the duration, but that didn't seem to help either. So, I think leading into London, I'm going to try and get in the gym a bit more and do some some really specific uh, strength work and maybe even some plyometrics on there. That the, the the hurdle for me is that I'm traveling around so much, changing locations and changing apartments. That you know, of all people, you would know that one pretty key thing to get into strength work is to have some sort of consistent environment and consistent. Um, gym to turn up to where you know your environment and you and you know the machines to work with. I'm moving around a lot, so it makes that pretty hard. I'm always having to seek out a new gym, and I mean here in Japan, nothing's even in English really. So trying to find a gym to you know here is even a bit of a challenge. So I'll do my best. Luckily, over the next seven weeks before London, I'm I'm only in three different locations, so that's not that much. Um, and so I'm pro- maybe ahead of time. I'll try and figure out the best the best gyms to use. So we'll try that, and if that doesn't work, then uh yeah maybe i'm just stuck with the cramping and i have to figure out how to just manage it best but uh we'll see it's it's crazy to think that nine marathons deep and five and a half years into it i still haven't worked out how to get to the end of a race without cramps but i do know it's very individual some people just don't get them at all uh i have one friend who i'm very envious of on the gold coast who used to be a runner now just finds it funny to do marathons without training and he's run a 308 (laughs) marathon now he ran a 308 marathon last year not really having trained at all and didn't cramp and i was like how can you run a marathon without training and not cramp and then i train 135k a week for eight weeks or 12 weeks and i cramp like how does that work so i don't know doesn't seem to be any sort of clear answer yeah oh it's funny and it's it's frustrating it's weird the marathon i feel like it's both the very weird it's a very weird the torture yeah the torture and the appeal of the marathon is just how hard it is to try and get your head around all the different areas that there are to cover like we've ticked over a couple of them from nutrition to training to strength and conditioning it's just i've never got i've never spoken to an athlete at the end of a marathon they're like i've completely figured it out like i know exactly what to do always now there's always never heard it either i've never heard those words (laughs) (laughs) so it's uh i guess it's the thing that keeps us coming back but you're right it's an interesting take as well because you hear cramps and i automatically just thought of um uh nutrition or you know the, the mm. liquids and stuff that you're taking in but it it is interesting that the other side of the factor is potentially like a strength and conditioning routine did you say like even at indianapolis when you ran your 220 that was something that was plaguing you the last couple of k's as well yeah yeah i haven't finished a marathon without cramping um so in indianapolis i managed to get to about 39 without any cramps and i was actually on pace for 218 uh, low 218 15 20 until then uh, and then I lost about two minutes in the last 3K. Uh, if my Strava graph is pretty funny, it's just 317, 316 pace. And all of a sudden, I'm going 345, 401. Like, it just flows right out. Um, yeah, I haven't yet finished one. Um, the closest I came, that was very close to getting to the end without cramping. Uh, at Berlin Marathon last year, I cramped very little, but I also had another injury that I was carrying with me. So that was not fun. I had a problem with my lower back, which was presenting pain in my upper hamstring. So I was sort of uh, trying to manage that. Uh, but I cramped very little in that race too. But then unfortunately in Osaka, I cramped quite a lot, um, which was disappointing. And uh, I think, you know, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but it's almost like 
one thing that's because I've because they've haunted me my whole marathon career, if you want to call it a career. Um, it's almost like when I started cramping at thirty one point eight k the other day, a little cramp. I feel like it's a little bit of a psychological uh, hole in a sense of when that started, I, I became a little bit stressed uh, and a little bit worried about the final 10K. And I wonder if that just exacerbates the problem <laughs> because I think all of a sudden I'm tense. I'm running a little bit more like in fear rather than a marathon so much about like flow and efficiency and staying relaxed. And I think the problem is, I don't, I don't know if I'll be able to really verbalize this very well, but once I start cramping, I think it sends a signal in my brain that like there's a problem and I need to combat this and manage this because, uh, and the reason why I say this is because I had some friends on course that said I looked very different at 30K to 35. Uh, the way I was running looked very different. Um, a lot worse, obviously at 35. And I think I tense up and then all of a sudden my technique changes I'm a lot more uh, nervous and concerned and stressed, and I, I, I almost think that makes the problem worse. So I don't, I don't know uh, how to combat that. But you know, that's the that's the beauty of the marathon. And what you said before is so true. Like I've never heard anyone say that they've nailed the marathon and figured it out. And in a way, it makes it an addictive thing because you never feel like you finish it being like I've done it. I've done that. that that's the best I can possibly do. I don't. I don't think anyone ever really gets to that point. Maybe unless they win the Olympics. Um, that, that, you know, I don't think anyone gets to a point where they're like, that's it. That's the best I can possibly do that training block and that, and that race. And in a strange way, people that, um, you know, are maybe perfectionists or, or whatever, I'm not, I'm not necessarily perfectionist, but I know people that are, that they, they just, they never, they never stop because they never get to the point where they think that they've conquered it. Um, whereas I think over like 100 meters or even at the events that we were at 800 and 1500, a lot of people probably do get to that point where they're like, okay that last fight eight weeks of training was pretty much perfect. And that race was pretty much perfect. Like um, maybe neither of us had that experience, but we definitely know other people that did. Um, and yeah, the marathon is, is a real, real beast of, a, of, of an event that uh, no one ever conquers. Uh, and I, I don't ever think I'll, I'll get to the point of, of, of running and running a marathon and thinking, well, that's, you know, that's as best as I can possibly do. And yeah, it's, it makes it for, for a really uh, challenging thing to conquer because uh, there's just no end to it. Um, mm, but uh, so I, 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 I don't so think true. I'll give up on, on, on trying to break 220. I'm going to just keep trying to figure it out. Cause I, I know I can do it. It's just about how do I get to the line without cramping? And then I think 216, um, maybe maybe 215 is possible at some point soon. Uh, I have a hard time thinking past 215 because um, I just don't think, like, I mean, sort of switching to a, a slightly different thing but still relating to the marathon, I think your marathon is, is very much um, dependent on how fast you are over 5 and 10K. So if my 10K limit is 30 flat, let's say, for example, which is probably about what it is, I've never actually run 30 flat, but I rec probably reckon I could, that's three minutes per K. And that means that I don't think you c I can possibly do a marathon at faster than, say, 312 because the, you know, you, you know that the, the, the threshold is probably right around that 305. You can only ever run a few percent slower than your threshold for marathon. So I'd need to figure out how to run faster over 10K before I thought past 215, 216. Um, and I, I've never really had any indication in training that I can go much faster than 30 flat for 10K. Um, so that would be another whole challenge in itself. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely um, – <laughs> you've got to take a step back and think to yourself and, uh, you know – when I was in the middle distance days, my threshold runs were, were at like 330 per K or 325 per K. So um, I've at least been able to improve on, on that for sure. So um, 
but yeah, exciting that uh, that you. So you've got um, you must have what six or seven months to prepare for the London Marathon. Uh, sorry, for the Melbourne Marathon. Um, so I'm curious yeah. to know how do you get past this next uh, this next stage of your of your uh, little niggles and, and and what is what is your game plan going into that? Well, it's a great it's a great question, man. Like <clears throat> I think honestly, the first part for me was I I think when it came to my actual running back in the day, I had very little injury injury. So I don't know, I don't think anything in terms of technique has changed that much when I run. Like I look at myself in a video now and I can't differentiate um, too much apart from carrying a bit more weight in how I run now than than uh, what I used to. So I, I'm i going to lay the technical side of it to rest for a little while. I, I think honestly, and I've noticed this, is when I pick up the pace to a certain point, I think it's almost an intensity thing. Like I'll go out because the, the two times I've um, – uh, done my calves the first one was in a 1k session the other day I was about uh, 100 meters I was doing six by a k and it was the first time where I was it was like a first real hard workout where I was going out there and I was I was sort of it's slightly uphill so for me a hard workout there was I was trying to do 330 up the hill and about 320 down the hill and I got to about 100 meters short of the last rep and that's where I felt it and I was like ah interesting and then yesterday I was just going for I was just going for a a bit of a run because uh, this is just the story of my life at the moment because on Sunday I did 20k and about 5k into the 20k run I noticed like the inside part of my right Achilles started to it wasn't a tear or a strain it just felt like this dull ache and mm. I had slight memories of that feeling back on the track years and years ago so I, I sort of was like I'll just I'll keep running and the pain it, it didn't get worse it just sort of maintained so I was like well I can pretty comfortably run on this if it's not going to get worse but then yesterday, I went into this run thinking, all right, I'll just, I was going to do 14K. And my main concern was, was just this right Achilles. Anyway, I got into a bit of a flow where I, I had a, um, I was listening to this, this book that my wife recommended called The Nightingale. That finished. Then I just put on this, this cool little acoustic, um, I can't remember what they're, they're tiny desks. These two like Ecuadorian guitar yeah. guys. And I just got into a rhythm. I got in a zone. And I looked down at my watch at one part and my, my K was like 350. I was like, holy shit, like this is supposed to be just a cruisy run. And then I thought, well, I feel like I'm jogging, so I'll just keep rolling. And then, uh, yeah, with a K to go, as I said, I, I felt that little twing in my left calf. So I'm thinking maybe it has something to do with the pace. So um, mm-hmm. it's a, long, a long-winded a long answer for uh, the eventual point to be. I'm not 100% sure, but in terms of um, – what I'm adding to the schedule, like when this recovers and, uh, you know, there's there's a little bit less pain, I'm going to introduce maybe some more skipping, some more calf work because I hadn't done that much intense work through my calves for a long time. I'd been out jogging, yeah. but I just think the intensity that my calves experience through a session or through a faster run, it's, it's hard to replicate in, in a jog. So I'm, yeah, I'm kind absolutely. of hoping that it's going to be a little bit of load management. It's also going to be um, hopefully a temporary thing where my calves are just being welcomed back into the sport and I've just got to try mm. and find that balance in the meantime as to how hard or how fast I can push myself and and keep my body in check so I think probably the next two or three weeks I'm, I'm gonna uh, next the next week I won't run and then I'll probably welcome back a couple of little jogs and then maybe even spend the next two weeks after that just trying to nurture them back in before I do anything faster um and then, yeah, just I, I think, man, a, a lot of load management. I'm very open to suggestions if you've got any ideas or um, yeah. if you've got any knowledge on the area. It's a very new kind of injury to me. As I said, I've never really experienced before now. 
Yeah, sure. Sorry, I put on, I put you on the spot there, didn't I? A bit with the plan, given that you're coming, trying to trying to figure out that niggle. But um, no, I mean, I that sounds difficult to manage. But like I said to you before, it sounds very similar to when I just started my marathon journey. I had little niggle, little niggle, little niggle here, little niggle there. Um, so you know, don't let it. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it won't, but don't let it. Uh, you know, set you back too much mentally because I think it's just your body trying to figure out what it can tolerate right now um and and you one thing i i hope that you don't do is is convince yourself that uh, maybe your body can't do it i i think it's just an adjustment period uh, i'm no expert here and you definitely a physiotherapist would be a better person to speak to but i think um i think it's just about you know your muscles trying to remember exactly what you were doing and the intensity that you were doing at 15 uh, 10 to 15 years ago and uh i'm sure that um a little bit of rest and then returning to it and, and doing that load management stuff will help and, and just paying close attention to um, to, to the little niggles and pains that pop up. Uh, it's funny you say that about the flow state that you got into when you were listening to, um, you know, the, the, the podcast and the music and all of a sudden you're running fast. Those situations are key, I think, to try and break through to the next level of fitness. But then at the same time, your brain's a, the brain's a fascinating thing in that if you get into those flow states, all of a sudden it can open up your mind to sort of, oh, I can do this. I can run this pace at this effort. This actually doesn't feel good. But sometimes you can sometimes. And those those I think those moments are what pushes the needle for us. And I've had a I've had probably ten to fifteen of them over the last few years where all of a sudden there's a moment in a run or a moment in a training session where I'm like, I can do that. I didn't think I could do that. I didn't think three twelve per K felt this easy. And but the problem is, the only problem with that is this: that when you get into those states of euphoria, if you want to call it that, it can sometimes send this bizarre message through your body that you don't really notice or feel any pains coming on. I don't really know how that works. So you've got to find this perfect balance in a weird way of of finding those states, but then also being able to listen to anything that might be giving you a warning sign inside about wait, my mind can do this, but my muscles can't yet. <laughs> you just need to wait a little bit of time until that catches up um, uh, because, yeah, I, I face ongoing uh, Achilles pains uh, still to this day. It sort of comes and goes and, and, and I have to balance those two things of the, of, the, of the levels to jump up in terms of aerobically, uh, but then also making sure that my body can, can continue on those, uh, with those improvements as well. And, and sometimes it can't. Like sometimes I, I need to take a step back and, um, it was probably about two years ago now. I I, I ran uh, two twenty four in a marathon in Japan. Sorry, three years ago in Japan, and uh, and then my Achilles exploded, and I basically couldn't run for a year. Um, and every time I tried to get back, and and well, I, sorry, I did run through that whole period, but just pain, not being pain free. And I got to a bit of a sad point, which in retrospect was a was a good thing to experience, where I had to take five weeks completely off. Um, and then when I came back, uh, I was, I was able to run pain free again. And, and then actually 14 weeks after that five week period off, I, I ran 220. So, um, so yeah. And, and I remember the first six weeks coming back from that five weeks off, I was actually so careful about returning that I was often like running without music or podcasts so that I could make sure I could mm-hmm. listen to any sort of pain that might present itself. And yes, it was boring and bland. I remember doing a, a, uh, a 20k steady run around a reservoir in boulder without music and without podcasts in 35 degrees celsius and it was absolute hell but oh. um i do remember thinking to myself if any pain comes up here i'm going to stop because i i want to make this marathon in i think at the time it was in 10 weeks 
because I've been back for four. Um, yeah, so it's it's a tricky one, but um, you know, I'm sure that you'll figure it out because you've got that you've got that early uh, early you know childhood or teenage years experience of of running and and the muscle memory for you is real like you're going to get that fitness back and that muscle memory back really quickly it's just a matter of um of time so now i'm excited to see how you do man i'm calling i'm calling a, a 230 a 237 in melbourne and then a 226 <laughs> shortly after i reckon dude I, you get me all inspired i uh i thought i was i thought i was coming here to ask about you i'm gonna leave this podcast just feeling ready to go um it, it, it's <laughs> yeah interesting yeah. you make a good point i I was I was running around yesterday, as I said, with these uh, these blokes playing guitar in my ear, and up until yesterday, like I, I remember about six weeks ago, I did a threshold and I was going out, and my threshold was three forty four, and it was, I just did eight k, and I got to the end and I was amazed at how well I ran. I thought this is incredible. Then yesterday, mm. like the last five k's, I thought they were all, and this is it's sort of not bragging because you know the outcome of it. It ended with a calf strain, but <laughs> I, yeah. I was going around in three four. And I had that exact moment that you mentioned where you go, oh, I could run this pace if I do it well for a marathon. Like it was, yeah. it just felt, I was guessing I was running about 4.30s. It just felt cruisy. Um, so it's cool to hear that you had those little breakthrough moments as well. And very, also oh, very yeah. cool just to hear about your journey back in after a, a little while away. Um, I didn't realize how much our, our paths or trajectory sort of took the same the same route for a little yeah. while. But um, yeah. well, hey, right back at you. Like it's exciting to think that, if this Indianapolis one with two eighteen on the cards with three k to go, it, it seems like a distant or a, a, a foreign concept to even imagine running the times that you are now. But if the my own trajectory goes in the direction you just called it, well, well, maybe <laughs> maybe I could start in the row behind you at, at one marathon in the next few years. But are you are you dude training? Uh, I know you said you're running one hundred and thirty five k a week, but are you sort of are you training like a professional in the sense of like you're doing the strength, you're doing the running you doing the rehab and things like that or are you just making it work with with everything else going on right now i wish you didn't ask that uh so i'm going to answer it honestly uh no i'm not training like a professional i should i should because i've got all these ambitious goals and i've got all these i'm making all these big announcements online that i'm going to try and run to sub 220 but the honest truth is i'm 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 not and i should and my excuse is that uh it's it's really tricky to to well firstly you know it's it's a bit hard to train full time with a full time job but it's made even harder when i'm always moving environments and i do have the time for it that's that's a garbage excuse to say i don't have the time to say you don't have the time for something just means you don't want to prioritize it like i do want to prioritize it but i think we're such creatures of habit that i'm finding it difficult to move around and change so i'm in this airbnb for 10 days in tokyo and then i go to another airbnb in berlin for nine days and then i go somewhere else for eight days and then somewhere else for three weeks and moving uh, in in portugal and then all this moving around means you know i'm living out of us i wish you could see it i've got this suitcase here and i've got no consistent environment to work with over time and no consistent gym to turn up to and like when you're in a home with the same people and the same places to put your keys and your wallet and your supplements uh like protein and electrolyte drinks and and these sorts of things and the same gym to go to at the same time i think i think that's the recipe to train like a true pro and i've really struggled to find the way to do that so i'm doing <laughs> you would know i'm doing the minimum possible training to run to 19 I, I haven't run to 19 but that's what i'm trying to run and, that, and that's just that's just basically the running so that's the 135k a week i do no stretching I do no rehab. Luckily, I mean, luckily, I haven't had an injury for, for a while, at least a serious one. Um, I'm doing no strength. 
but you know what? Uh, I really want to try over the next. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm your age. I'm pretty sure you're born in '87 as well. So we're getting up there now. I just turned 36 at last two weeks ago, and I'm ten, um, I'm ten days behind you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah. And, and so you know, we start to think like, well, by 40, 45, it's hard to really improve from there. Although, mind you, Lisa Waitman just at 44 years old just improved on her marathon time so maybe that maybe that statement's wrong um and Sinead Diver's still running uh national records at what is that 46 but either way we know that our time is the clock is ticking a little bit to some extent and so I do wonder maybe I really should at some point try and run try and train like a pro and just see and see how far I can go I think it's one of those things um, where I probably would regret it when I'm a bit older that I never really, really trained as hard and as best as I possibly could. But I'm doing 95% of it, you know. And, and I guess one other point to make that, that works in my favor is that I'm fortunate enough to go to altitude quite a lot through the year uh, on, on work trips where I'm doing content. And so I'm able to utilize those trips and train at altitude, which is something that maybe a lot of pros don't get the chance to do uh, for one reason or other. Maybe they have a, a family or they have, or they don't have enough funding to go to altitude. So I do have that benefit that I'm able to do the altitude work, but um, I've never really been able to figure out how to do the, uh, the proper strength training and the proper, um, you know, uh, rehab stuff that, that, that really, that really probably does, um, you know, allow pro athletes to elevate themselves to the absolute highest level and the best, the best, uh, the best you know, ability that they can they can be at. So, I, I I have been thinking a lot about this. That question that you asked is a really good one. It's like maybe I should just for six months see what would happen. Like maybe c- could I run two twelve or two thirteen if if I did those things? I I really don't know. Um, like I said, I think that would boil down to improving the five and ten k. Uh, down to a 29 low and a, and a 13 high, which um, uh, currently I'm not capable of doing, I don't think. So, um, so yeah, uh, I'll see. Um, I, I do think we've got uh, – I'm glad Lisa and Sinead are running these times because it probably makes both of us think, oh, maybe we do have a bit more time than we, than we thought. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's really, that, that, um, that Sinead one, I think she's 47. I don't want to chuck numbers on her that are, that are not uh, there just yet, but I'm pretty sure I heard she's 47, which is – just insane to think uh, about how well yeah. she's travelling. You're right; it definitely motivates me a little bit. What? Um, yeah. So you got this week off. The then the, what, yep. the six and a bit weeks leading into London. What does that look like? Sort of turning it around on on such short notice. I noticed Brett came out and ran the Australian record after a fairly short turnaround, yep. which was amazing to me. It seems like something that's sort of happening more now than it ever did, even sort of ten or fifteen years ago. Yeah, that's another great one. Um, question that is. I think, uh, yeah, Brett, Brett was able to run uh, 209 at London and then eight weeks later, or maybe nine weeks later, uh, it, it wasn't 10, I think it was eight or nine, uh, he ran 207.31, was it, and broke the Australian record at Fukuoka. Uh, I think um, I, I think the super shoes play a pretty big role in the recovery from these events. Uh, I think that's, I mean, everyone would agree that um, do a marathon in the old school flats and then do a marathon uh, in the vapor flies or the, or the alpha flies or, or the Adios pro threes. And it's a very different recovery process. Um, my first race, uh, my first marathon I did in the Nike streaks, you'd probably remember them, uh, very, no carbon plate, no zoom phone, nothing, just a dead flat shoe. And I reckon it took me about probably about two and a half weeks to make for me to feel like I was recovered. <laughs> now in these alpha flies, honestly, it's crazy to say, I mean, I'm four days post-marathon. I feel fully recovered at this point. Uh, and that's been mostly wow. the same for the previous few marathons, four or five days. Now that's not true. I'm not fully recovered, but at least my muscles 
um, are giving me that indication that I am. Uh, there's probably still some neural and um, and general fatigue that that lingers a little bit more. Um, but I do think backing up is possible for for that reason. But also, um, I do think backing up is easier and more doable if you're a runner that's had a lot more uh, or that's had more lifetime mileage. I think lifetime mileage is a thing that's not spoken about that much, but I think it's actually a pretty big deal. Is that when you have more years and more volume of running in your legs, it appears to me like this means you might get injured more easily, potentially, but you also um, have the ability to recover faster and also just simply do uh, yeah, more, more training in, in general. Um, that's what it appears to me uh, because I've got quite a few friends that have been running, you know, that are around our age that have been running since they were 17, 18, 19. They seem to be able to back up pretty well for marathons and do another marathon shortly after, whereas people that I coach that um, are new to running have tried it and it, the success rate doesn't seem as high. They just need more time to recover from each marathon. Um, so uh, after the experiment with having five weeks totally off and then running at 2.20, 14 weeks later, that really flipped a switch in my mind to be like, okay, well, total rest is is okay <laughs> total rest and total time off is fine it just has to be done at the right times and given i just did a huge training block and i was uh, in uh you know well i ran 221 whether i was in better shape or not is a is an argument for for people that can <laughs> they, they want to de- debate that um and i say that because obviously i struggled with the cramping towards the end um but uh, i think taking a full week off i will basically not really lose anything at all fitness wise especially given the 221 race itself is such a big training effort. You know, that is a that is basically a two-hour 21 threshold run. So I'm going to take that forward with me as well. But having seven days off and then a six-week training block, I should start that six-week training block in 220-ish shape, give or take a few minutes. Um, and, uh, yeah, my training sort of philosophy, I've been coaching myself. It's pretty, pretty simple. Uh, two harder workouts a week, um, one being in a long run on the weekend and the other one being midweek. Uh, yeah, and the mid- midweek sessions normally at sort of 5K, 10K, half marathon uh, effort around that threshold or a little bit quicker via 2 max. And the long run tends to be between 32 and 42K with uh, some. sometimes it'll be with some marathon effort um, work in there. Sometimes it won't. It'll depend a little bit on the the week and what's going on in the week and how far I am out from the race. Uh, but yeah, I think the six-week block will, will serve well. I, I know a lot of examples of people that have done a big training block raced raced okay or or poorly had a short had a short break done a short training block and then run really well and uh the belief is maybe that um the first training block maybe you were potentially overtraining a little bit or maybe you just didn't quite nail the first one you needed a little bit of rest to completely uh, you know, absorb all of the training in the first block, um, and then uh, and then oftentimes the, the short second block is 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 just the way to sort of top up on the fitness a little bit, but go in and maybe a little bit fresher into the second race. Um, I haven't ever really looked at Brett Strava to know what he did between those two races, but I'm curious. I'd be curious to know if he took any rest after the first one or not. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see uh, if I'm able to back up well or not. Um, I'm pretty confident in being able to do so. I think the older I get the more I'm realizing that listening to the body is the number one thing by far to, to gauge your training. I could easily go and set this perfect training plan from now leading into London, but if I try and do an interval session this Monday and I feel really tired still, there's no point in following that plan anymore. I have to pull back and reassess and readjust and go, nope, I wasn't ready for that. 
I have to push that workout back another five days or, or whatever it ends up being. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's super, super important to, to pay attention to the fatigue and energy and just listening to the body in general. Yeah. Are you doing 32 to 42 Ks week in, week out, or is that your marathon-specific build-up for like the block leading into it? Just the block leading in, yeah. And there's no way I'd do a 32k run if I wasn't. It didn't have a marathon coming up. <laughs> I, was so um, I was so impressed. Yeah, no, uh, that that's normally. So I'd, I'd normally start the marathon specific block about ten weeks before. Uh, if I had the ten weeks, uh, this time it's obviously six. Um, but that's just because London's in 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 seven and a half weeks from now. Um, and I say six weeks, it's because I factor in one week post Osaka Marathon. The last week is not really a training week. It's a taper week. So there's sort of six weeks sitting in the middle there. Um, yeah, no, so those 32K runs would start about 10 weeks before the race. And outside of the marathon-specific block, um, I think it'd be pretty difficult, at least for me, to sustain those runs year-round, probably mentally more than physically. Um, I think I really need to to have a race pretty soon to – um, for me to get up to do those runs really well. I don't know how people do 35, 40K runs. I remember one day, correct me if I'm wrong, was it you? Am I thinking, I, I'm sorry if I've mixed you up with someone else, but did you do, you do a 100K run once? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I'm did. sure. It, it I remember seeing that on the yeah. bucket list. <laughs> see, <laughs> see, I could never do that. I could never do that unless I had like a big cut target goal. But I guess that was your goal to complete that hundred k. So that made sense. But I don't know how people do these super long runs when they don't have a big race coming up. I, I'm not wired that way. Uh, I, I need to have a deadline to be fit and something to know. Okay, I've got sixty five days until game day. Like that's that's how I'm going to get through my forty k run today. So um. So yeah, man, that's a hundred k. Oh man, I don't know. You've got a, you got a great that. memory. Yeah. No, I don't know either. It was yeah. a horrific experience. It was something that I remember. I remember waking up. My wife was away for the weekend, and I thought, okay, well, this has been something I should always. I've always wanted to do. I was kind of doing some preseason football work, and I was like, well, I'll, I'll see if we can do it. And dude, it was it was literally it was just horrific. I think I ran the. I, I know I ran the first thirty k's, and then I kind of just walked on and off for ages, and then. People were saying to me, I reckon when you get within sort of 10K from home, it'll feel easy. And it was none of that. I remember, honestly, I remember, this sounds like I'm making it up, but cross my heart, truth. No. I got to one 1K to go and I was like, I don't think I can finish. I just don't. Yeah, no, I know I'm that gonna, feeling. I, I don't know how I'm going to get to the end point. So somehow I did. I paid for it as well. I was um, I was a bit crook for a couple of days. You know when you're on the brink of you can feel a flu or a cold kicking in? I remember for like three days after that, I was like, you're doing – absolutely nothing because you've just uh yeah you've just smashed yourself but yeah man that was a that was i'm no down finokiara who's uh who's just an ultra marathon man down here don't know if you know him but he'd be a, a yeah 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 player. i do know yeah, yeah get the camera yeah, no, he's around 219 but dude yeah yeah speaking speaking of cameras in front of him uh that was the whole reason or the original reason before i realized you're a marathon man i i mentioned before i hit record that sweat elite the training sessions of come up on a number of podcasts and, and I've sort of uh, been going down the YouTube rabbit hole in the world of running. I've got a, a YouTube channel for, for relaxed running as well. And one of the uh, pages that keeps coming up was Sweat Elite. So I, I did a little bit of research after speaking to Izzy last week and was mind-blowing to see that it was your good-looking face behind it all. So I, uh, I had to reach out to you and, and ask you about it. Dude, give us a give us a rundown on that because it, it – I know YouTube does the year or the timelines in a different way. It can be almost two years that a video has been up, but it still says one year until it crosses that two-year threshold. And I rewound mm. down to the bottom of your page the other day just because you got 110,000 people 
following along and really good content. And it says you've only been doing it for a year, which is ridiculous in terms of how much traction you've got in such a short amount of time. But also no surprise when you see blokes like Paul Chalamo and uh, everyone else you've had up there. Do, give us a yeah. give us a little bit of a breakdown on the story behind Sky yeah. Elite because it's a it appears as though it's a crazy story. Yeah, it is one. Uh, I mean, I think it is a little bit of a crazy story. And uh, no, I appreciate the kind words there. I mean, so yeah, so back to what I mentioned earlier, where I was 84 kilos and living in Singapore, I left that job with some savings and thought, okay, I'm 29. That was at the time 30. And and I wanted to try my hand at a, maybe another startup or two. I'd, I'd, I'd had a few startups of which most of them didn't really work out the way I would have liked them to. Um, one did reasonably well and was able to sort of offload one to an acquirer in a, in a small way. But um, I had some savings and I thought, you know, I want to get back into running. I'm, I've put on a little bit of weight. I was a little bit of involved in the running scene in Singapore as well because I was the manager at Flight Center Active Travel and we were sponsoring some runners and I was sort of watching the some of the marathon events and I thought right around the same time my friend challenged me to that sub sub three hour um, marathon and I thought you know I never really was very content with the with the uh, with the media and the content when I was a middle distance runner and I thought to myself the one thing I really wanted as a middle distance runner or a long distance runner was more resources around athletes training and and how they became as good as they uh, are and so I thought to myself okay well I think to start with I could at least just get uh, some interviews happening with some professional runners, put it on a blog, some training logs, and and basically just take it from there. So that was in 2016. So I interviewed a whole lot of runners, uh, some Australian runners, some German runners, some American runners about their training leading into specific races and just basically put it on a blog. Um, and at the time, I was a little bit clueless as to where I was going to go with it. I just wanted to have more information out there about training um, rather than having to go down to a local bookstore and buy the Sebco book. I thought it's about time this is maybe transitioned to the to the internet. And uh, yeah, that's where it started. And then from there, it basically, you know, very quickly I saw 500,000, 1,500 people per day coming to the website. That was probably over a six-month period. Um, and I thought, okay, how can I sort of turn this into a business if I can. And the first idea that came in probably six months in was maybe I can turn into a sort of like a subscription model where we're just continuously adding more and more content onto the website and people can pay a small fee to subscribe, much like subscribing to a newsletter or or a magazine. So we did that. Um, and, and slowly over time, we sort of built up a following of a few thousand people over the, on the subscriber area. And then in 2019, we added a podcast um, which we've had over 100 episodes now, just interviewing athletes about their build-ups to certain events and and, and so forth. Um, and in 2019, it really occurred to me that in order to take this business to the next level and sort of um, stand out more in the running media scene, I think video was really important. Um, there was a lot of websites out at that point publishing a lot of content about running training and build-ups. And I thought, okay, the ability to sustain this over the long term for charging people for this content is probably going to be difficult. So I think the video space is where we want to go. And so in late 2019, I decided to to, to take a big plunge with it, I guess, and 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 do uh, went online and did a few videography courses and learned how how it all works and watched a whole lot of Flowtrax old stuff, which was uh, very inspiring. And then I moved to Boulder in early 2020 with the with the hope that I'd stay there for about a year and and try and get some videography up and. Um, and COVID struck very shortly after that, and I, I went home to Australia and, and sort of stuck that period out and then moved back to Boulder in 2021 in April uh, and then put the first video on the channel in May. So it, it, it is almost two years now. It's about a year and 
um, 20, well, oh, sorry, a year and 10 months. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit crazy to me actually to think how many people have, uh, have, have viewed our videos and, 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 and the um, subscribers because I never would have thought it, it would have grown that fast, honestly. I, I've just sort of been been putting the work out there and hoping that people would enjoy it. And, uh, and I spoke to you offline before we started that now we're really venturing down the space of having brands involved in these videos, which uh, we didn't plan on at the start. We hoped that to be able to monetize purely by, by users, but we have learned that that's difficult um, for for a few reasons that are, that are sort of quite, quite quite long and complicated to talk about, um, mostly around the fact that there's just so much good free content online now that that most people just don't feel the need to pay for it. Um, but yeah, brands are investing a lot in our videos now, um, including you know, Asics, Nike, and, and, and Garmin. So that's really cool. Um, and and yeah, so I think there's been 150 something videos put up now, and it's been uh, you know lots of mistakes made, lots of things I've learned, lots of um, quite a lot of behind the scenes uh, challenges that we don't speak about. Um, sometimes I've flown to film an athlete and they've uh, they've cancelled on me. Um, so that's that, that you know that's a bit difficult to work with when you you spend the money to go there and there's you know that's just your loss. Um, but you know on the outside it, it definitely um, looks like it's going well and you know I, I do hope that people are enjoying watching the videos and. Um, yeah, there's a lot more plans in the in the next sort of six to twelve months to expand into triathlon as well. I think triathlon is a really interesting space for us. Um, but yeah, which uh, which, which videos have you have you been watching and which have you enjoyed? Well, dude, I I actually really enjoyed um, your lead up to. I think I watched the most recent one that you put up. I think three or probably four days ago. I think I watched it last night, just getting ready for this, and just to hear your thoughts around getting ready for the marathon. That I, I went to your most popular videos, and I I really Chalimos. not just for oh incredible dude like how yeah. how beautiful is that guy to watch run like just even yeah. the thumbnail that you had on just with his name and him on the track like I look at that and I go how can you not like even if you're not a runner like you look at that technique and you go I want to see it um, I yeah. really enjoyed that one as well just to and and just hearing was that was that you behind the camera there I, yeah. at that stage I, I don't know if I recognize yeah. So I heard the Aussie accent. I wasn't 100% sure if it was you, but it was just good. I, I really I really liked his attitude towards what the session was as well. Like I think, I don't know if it was hot or whether it was a hard session or a combination of the two, but just to hear him speak about, hey, this is something I've chosen to do. This is, I'm like, this is, I'm, I want to be here. This is, I thought that's the attitude you've got to take into a session or anything complicated. Like whenever you hit a brick wall or whenever you hit something, some form of an obstacle, it's like, no, like that reminder to yourself is so beneficial. So as much as I enjoyed watching him run and, and hearing your questions, I, I liked his answers to the questions as well. Yeah. Um, dude, I, no, I w- have watched quite a few before I realised you were the man behind it. I saw there were three, I think they were New Zealanders or Dutch maybe, I can't remember. They were training in, in Kenya. They had a van next to them and they were sort of yep. just doing a, a marathon session, maybe three by 5K up along sort of a, a, a road. And what I like about it, as much as I like hearing about the training and the running and the questions, I like seeing the different locations. Like, I just reckon seeing yeah. the different, like, oh, these guys are in Kenya. This is where the Kenyans train. Wait, this is Kip Kano Stadium. What the heck? Like, it's just, uh, I think that's really enjoyable. I was trying to put my finger on exactly what I like, but I think there's probably four or five factors or, or four or five things that I really enjoy that aren't necessarily just related to running and um and and session structure it's just yeah you seem to have tapped into a real sweet spot so have you got i think izzy was telling me that you've got different videographers working for you in different locations or 
Like, how does the team element of it work? Are you doing it all by yourself? Have you got people editing? Because it looks like it would be yep. a, a fairly big undertaking for a, for one man. <laughs> yeah, just quickly on the locations part. Um, it's funny. I never really thought about that until someone randomly said uh, early on in the channel. Um, they commented on it saying, "I love pretty much what you just said." They said, "I love the workouts and I love meeting the people, but I really like seeing the locations that you're training at because." And I also, I've had a lot of comments about that over the last year and a half. And, and oftentimes, because people, people oftentimes think, I, I want to go to Flagstaff, but all I can see online is some basic pictures of the trails. But watching your videos, I can really see what it's like to train in Flagstaff properly. And it's a really cool byproduct and sort of like um, secondary reason why people watch the videos. So it's, it's, it's funny that you say that because um, it's not, nothing that really ever crosses my mind when I film that, oh, maybe just the background and the scenery is, is interesting to people. But um, it definitely is when it comes to Kenya, Flagstaff, Boulder, et cetera. Um, but, yeah, so in terms of the team, uh, yeah, so we, we actually don't have any full-time staff. I'm the only one. We've just got a lot of contractors that I'm connected with around the world. Very lucky that a lot of uh, professional videographers in the running and triathlon scene have reached out to me over the last year and a half. I've put a couple of Instagram posts up looking for people that people have responded to. Um, but we basically work on video by video, uh, you know, project by project basis. So I'll say to a videographer in Flagstaff, okay, we've got XYZ athlete that wants to do this workout and be filmed. Would you be up to doing it on this day? And each each project is just the same. So they film the workout, they edit the workout themselves. Um, they know the style because there's sort of a, a, a guide that I've put together that people people read and, and they know the basic style. And if they've reached out to me in the first place, they've probably watched the video and they probably know what it looks like. Um, and yeah, that's how it works. And then I just pay them for that particular video. And now we're doing more video series. So we're doing like a eight-part series on one particular athlete leading into one race or one event. So that videographer would then have the entire series to work with that athlete. So it's a little bit more of a commitment. So uh, so that's how it works. And um, <clears throat> I don't think we'll ever transition to really needing someone full-time because the, tr- the tricky thing that I'm currently tr- dealing with now, which is a bit of a strange problem to have, is that we probably have the ability to produce a lot more content, but I'm not really sure if that would be a good idea. Um, because you know the, the the market and the the amount of people that are interested in these videos in the grand scheme of things is pretty small. Uh, we're talking about maybe a few hundred thousand in the world would actually want to watch these things. And if you do a video every day, it's hard to keep up with that. I mean, we have actually had periods of time where we've done sort of a, a five to six a week, and we had we didn't have the best response to it. People were sort of like, it's just an overload of content, and it's it's hard to keep up with what you're doing. And I think the two to three a week is ideal. So rather than doing more quantity, we're looking at sort of just making the videos better (laughs) in a simple Mm. sense. Um, And so right now I'm actually really studying and trying to understand. I'm looking at other triathlon YouTube channels and running YouTube channels and trying to go, okay, well, what can we do better within these videos? Like how can we actually make these videos better quality? Like what are the questions that we can ask athletes that are going to make this more interesting? What are the what are the mistakes that we're making in videos that we can improve on? How can we maybe edit these down to be shorter but more more appealing and more interesting? So these are the questions I'm asking myself now rather than working on uh, quantity. I'm working more on how do we improve our quality of video? And 
luckily expanding into triathlon where we haven't done a lot of video yet, I think that's a really um, important question to ask right now as we're venturing into a new space with new, uh, you know, new things to think about because filming a bike session, a swimming session is quite different, especially a bike session is quite different to filming a running session. So it's almost like we're starting from scratch with the triathlon in a way, even though we have already filmed some triathletes doing running workouts already. Um, so I, I'm spending many hours actually of, of my weeks looking at the best content in triathlon. So uh, anyone listening that knows triathlon content would know Lionel Sanders is, is the big one. Uh, Daniel Bacagard is, is another really, really good triathlete that has a great channel. So I'm watching episode by episode of their stuff and, and jotting down notes being like, yeah, we need to do this, we need to do that. That that video is doing this better than we're doing it. So um, so that's that's what's on my mind right now. And I'm trying to then share those thoughts and insights with the other videographers out there that so that they can incorporate into their videos too so so yeah it's exciting um it is a big undertaking but um i love it man i just uh, i really enjoy it and uh yeah we've we've briefly exchanged messages you know here and there over the last decade when we've been uh, noticing each other doing entrepreneurial things so uh i appreciate you reaching out and asking these questions but uh yeah it's uh it's 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 a it's a big undertaking but i'm I'm enjoying it for sure and I, i can't complain when i you know, wake, wake up in Tokyo and, uh, and I mean, there's whole other challenges involved in the travel that people don't think about, like, uh, like sleeping consistently and stuff. So, uh, you know, those things people don't really, um, factor in as well, but, um, it'd be interesting to see where we're at in two years, um, uh, for sure. I think with the, with the triathlon being front of mind as well. So, um, we'll, we'll see. Uh, it's exciting, man. It's exciting. So what you got a couple of, you're in Tokyo now, you said you got a couple of days <laughs> left there before you head to Berlin, was it first? Yeah, Berlin uh, on the tenth. So Tokyo Marathon is this weekend, uh, and then we'll go. Uh, I'm heading off on on the on the Friday to Berlin, where we're doing our first project with Nike. Um, so Nike are launching their Vaporfly Three, and we're going to do some videos with the Berlin Track Club, where they're going to be rolling out the Vaporfly Three on their channel. Uh, yeah, stoked to be to be doing that with Nike, and hopefully there's some more stuff with them coming as well. So, um, so yeah, that's super exciting and. Uh, um, that'll be on the channel towards the end of March as they're preparing for the Berlin half. Um, and so this is the, the the position we really wanted to be in where we're able to show workout videos but then also incorporate it with like a shoe rollout because everyone's so fascinated by the uh, – I'm not sure if you've if you've yet really ventured down the space of the whole super shoe, um, you know, uh, game because that's a whole other thing that's going on in the sport right now as well. So. Um, yeah, hopefully people find those videos interesting and it's also really important for us to find the right balance between creating the original content but it not being like too much of an advert for Nike. Mm-hmm. That's something I'm really trying to trying to think about as well now uh, because I, the last thing we want is for people to think, oh, they had this really cool channel going and there was original unique content and then all of a sudden it's like this advertising board. Like we, we want to avoid that at all costs. So, so, yeah, when I'm editing now, I'm really making sure, you know, we don't want there to be too branded we want it to be branded just enough so that the brand gets enough out of it but it's it still seems like it's um pretty pretty original yeah awesome man oh dude seriously i've, I've left this uh, uh double inspired double inspired for my marathon career and for the uh the future of sweat elite dude you're the, you're the kind of guy that i i think with, with the passion like that you, you mentioned i can't remember on air or off air but with the um I like talking to people who've had a swing and said, all right, well, that didn't work, that didn't work, that didn't work. Oh, what about – and just keep getting back up. And it's uh, it's cool to see something take off like it has, brother. So I'm, I'm pumped to to watch the next 12 <laughs> months and beyond. And, uh, man, we'd love to have you back mm-hmm. on. Like we, Even if it's just to talk about marathon training and running and stuff like that, it feels very easy to talk. And, and people uh, who listen to this seem to love the marathon talk. So 
Um, yeah. It's an open platform for you, brother. So if you ever want to come on and, and just go back and forth, let's do it. <clears throat> yeah, for sure, man. I appreciate that very much. I mean, I've, yeah, I've definitely had a, like, like you, you know, had a lot of swings and a lot of misses and, uh, you know, I could talk for hours about all the failures, but when it comes to marathon talk, um, yeah, I'm always keen to discuss that. Just don't ask me about muscle cramping. Anything else I'm, I'm, I'm all here for. <laughs> I don't know how to solve the muscle cramps. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm more than happy to, to come back on at some point and talk about, you know, things I've, um, I've, I've learned in the marathon training space and more, more probably relating to pros that I've, 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 um, been, been filming and, and how they've been preparing because there's a, there's a big spectrum of approaches to, to marathons, um, you know, we're currently doing a video series with Richard Ringer, who's the European champ from um, from the European Championships last year from Germany, and he, he's run 208. And he doesn't do more than 125K a week, which is really interesting. He does a lot of cross-training, though. So that's a completely different approach. And, uh, you know, after this video series where I speak more with him about um, his lead-up to the Hamburg uh, Marathon, I'd be more than happy to share more insights about about that. So, yeah, no, um, I appreciate the offer, man. It'd be good to come back on at some point soon, maybe after after London. Um, we'll we'll see. But uh, yeah, all the best in your next uh, next few months getting getting marathon fit. And uh, I, I will say that with the concern around the around the misses, just just tell her that you know you you can get you can get that stuff back later. It's just a <laughs> short period of time where we can run a quick marathon. So <laughs> that's a yeah. good point. That's a good point. I'll see yeah. if I can sell it to her. All right, brother. All right, thanks yeah. a lot for coming on. Cool, man. Thanks so much. See you later. See everybody. Thanks for listening to the Relaxed Running Podcast. If you're ready to become a faster, more efficient runner, visit www.relaxedrunning.com 